0: Primary Care Knowledge Boost, dentistry as part of primary care.
1: Welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. We hope you're doing okay. Um, we have an episode for you about dentistry today and just to explain how on earth we came to record this episode, um, we were talking behind the scenes really about interviewing members of the wider primary care team. Um, so you'll have noticed the other episodes but the big four primary care services are general practice, community pharmacy, optometry and dental services. So we had wonderful episodes already around community pharmacy and optometry. So this episode completes that
0: set, essentially. Yes, exactly, and the idea um, of chatting to them was just to get a flavor of how the services are set up and what their priorities are, how they're funded, and any top tips um, for those working in primary care about how to use the services, or um, top tips for how to manage that clinical area if you're seeing it yourself, and just generally resources for understanding more. Just to say up top that I do have quite a bad head cold, so I apologise for um, all the lack of, is it D's? What is it that I can't say? B's? You sound ill. <laughs> uh, um, but hopefully I don't feature too much in the episode and you can enjoy the lovely chat with Sarah Mctar Mukhtar um, because there's lots of good information in there.
2: My name's Mukhtar Ahmad. Uh, I'm a general dental practitioner. I work in Oldham in Greater Manchester. Um, I graduated in 1999, uh, did my foundation training, which is now currently educational training in Stockport. Um, I worked in sale, and I've worked in Oldham since 2006 in a predominantly NHS uh, dental practice. I also am an educational supervisor, so newly graduated uh, dentist. Um, to be able to work in the NHS, they have to do a year in practice. Bits and bit similar to a house job in a way. Mm. And that year sort of is supervised and organized by the local deaneries and the place in practice are pre-selected. So I've, I've been doing that for a while now. In fact, this is my 14th foundation dentist. So quite a long time. I also um, am a mentor. So I work with the training hub to mentor and coach uh, dentists within GM. And I used to have a role uh, mentoring um, registrants in difficulty with um, the GDC or local area team. And so sort of finally, I work, I'm clinical workforce lead for dentistry, working with the workforce team and GM. So I think that's a summary of what I kind of do at the moment.
0: Wow, that definitely must all keep you quite busy.
2: It hey, does, don't know how long you
0: well thank you so much for coming today and joining us. So we're um, hoping that we're going to learn a lot more about dentistry today and how that fits into um, the primary care uh, team. So we thought we'd just open up broadly um, and ask you to give us a bit of an introduction to dentistry. What are the basics that we need to know? Um, how is the service set up really?
2: Yeah, I think many people um, within the health service, uh, primary care or anywhere, don't really understand how dentistry is funded and works within the NHS currently. Um, It's different with different bodies. So England, Scotland, Wales have different rules to how it all works. Within England, you have NHS dental practices that are commissioned to provide NHS dental services. They have a contract that's been given to them and they have to achieve a certain number of UDAs or units of dental activity within a year period um, and they're paid to do that. Now, historically, um, this whole system kind of came into being in 2006 when we had something of options for change and you had a situation where dental practices were given UDA values and contract values based upon previous activity now what this means you can have practices basically on the same street with different UDA values so one practice may have a higher UDA value so they technically have more money to play with and one are lower now a practice have to achieve its number of UDAs within a year so April to April if at the end of the year they've not achieved the UDAs there is an issue of clawback now you may wonder, wonder how are UDAs paid so When we do treatment, for example, a checkup, uh, a scale and polish, x-rays, that's a band one, and you get one UDA for that. When you do a filling, you get two UDAs, and if you do a denture or something, you get more UDAs as well, based upon what you do. Um, recently the government has brought in an initiative where you get extra UDAs for doing the number of treatments because prior to the change, you could do one filling and get the same number of UDAs and you could do 10 fillings and get the same number of UDAs, you get paid the same. So they brought in a sort of an extra system where you get paid more for doing more. Um, as I mentioned, the UDAs to our practices are limited. So if you go over the certain amount, you won't get paid for that um, unless there's some kind of recurrent f- funding available from the area team. Um, So yes, that's kind of how the UDA system works. So that's kind of how we're paid and how we're enumerated. As I mentioned about clawback, at the end of the year you've not achieved your required number of UDAs, there will be clawback where the money's taken off you. I think GM has also brought in something called flexible commissioning, and that basically almost allows for UDAs to be equivalent to something else so if you provide other services for example that can be an equivalency to the UDAs you would you would actually do so for example if you do certain programs like Baby Teeth Do Matter, Healthy Gums if you visit residential homes but I mean I don't have the figures to hand but the sort of the British Dental Association has recently talked about literally there's millions of clawback where practices are having to hand money back and people question well why are you having to do that when there's such a need for dentistry with within the country, not just GM. It's because of staff, it's because of workforce. Practices struggle to attract dentists. There's a shortage of NHS dentists. We're struggling with nurses with COVID as well. So the issues and sort of challenges we face are in relation to that. So practices struggle to get dentists in. Also the contract itself, which is undergoing reform and you know has been piloted recently, is challenging uh, as well. Um, within GM, there are some support mechanisms to allow you to kind of, Provide it slightly differently, um, which is helpful, I think. So that's kind of the main challenges that we face when it comes to providing our, our treatment. And as I mentioned, workforce is the biggest challenge that we have at the moment.
0: Gosh, yeah, I'm just reflecting on um, all of that. is really interesting. I didn't really understand how dentistry was funded or worked before. The one question that came to mind um, was about the situation where you are going to go over the work for the year. So you said that if you do have all that extra work, you you won't get paid anything more if you've met that UDA activity.
2: Technically, no. There's often non-recurrent funding where maybe a practice has had a shortfall or handed money back, a contract back early. And again, if you speak with the area team early on and you can say, look, I think we're going to meet our requirements and go over, they'll often offer you that uh, non-recurrent funding to fund seeing those extra doing those extra UDAs and then seeing those extra patients. Um, but as max mentioned, the challenge isn't necessarily us doing the treatment, it's us getting the 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 workforce in place the dentist in place the dental nurses in place to do that treatment um i think one thing that with dentistry is that we're, we're very limited to gps in many ways we're funded through the government but we very much are a business as well like a lot of gp practices most nhs dental practices in the uk are run by private companies private organizations limited companies sole traders I think we have some really big players. We have some corporates like um, Bupa, but we have My Dentist, Roderick, some really large companies that provide NHS dental care. And most dental practice, for example, like ours, there's a partnership where we've got like three, four people and we we sort of manage three or four different practices. So we very much are a business. I mean, also just to add to it, you know, certain expenses we have are refunded to us. For example, any rent that we pay an NHS practice, that's not, refunded we, we pay that from our own pocket um, staff wages etc etc is from the business itself and um, I think that our main challenge I touched on is is workforce um, and when I speak to GPs in the workforce groups they often struggle with with the issue with the GP's locoming. we tend to not to have an issue so much with dentist locoming, where we get the challenge is more from dentists who want to do more private or work in the private sector um, as I mentioned previously, this is my 14th foundation dentist. And I hope that I provided them a good insight into NHS dentistry and encouraged them to say. But when I look back, I think looking at the numbers that I had, I've got, I've got like two that have gone into hospital dentistry, maxillofacial um, and orthodontics. Um, I've got two, I think a couple at the minute, as far as I'm aware, that are working full in NHS dentistry, but most of them have gone into private or a mixture of NHS and private. And many NHS practices will provide NHS treatment and private treatment. NHS treatment doesn't cover cosmetic work. Um, So if someone wants tooth whitening, if they want composite bonding, these are areas that will have to be paid privately, which NHS practices can do. Um, But many of my uh, sort of foundation dentists, when they finished, they've done a year or two in NHS then they've gone more into into the private aesthetic side as I mentioned many aesthetic private dentists aesthetic dentists do Botox collagen fillers as well so we we challenge we face is supporting NHS dentists within uh, the NHS to remain and retain and what can we do to to make it more attractive to not just NHS dentists dental nurses as well and that's one of my roles that's kind of been central with the workforce team at the moment how we support people doing that
1: yeah but i mean that's a sounds tricky the way it's funded um it strikes me that health inequalities might be
2: yeah i I think health inequalities is, is a core to what we see on a daily basis i mean we well know the connections between, you know, deprivation, poverty, and disease. And that applies to dentistry as well. People who have what, dental gum disease, or problems are more prone to having other, you know, medical problems as well. And then them accessing dental services and access is a big issue in dentistry at the moment. It's what we hear about constantly in the newspapers and the media. The, way most of our patients will find out about access is going on to the nhs um, choices website putting in a postcode and that will show the dental practices in the local area taking on and there's not that many but having said that um greater manchester again i'm, I'm sort of big up our commissioners <laughs> which are which are great they have set up a scheme where practices are being encouraged to take on new patients and that way of being paid has encouraged sort of practices to open their books and take on. But when they've done that, they have been inundated literally with phone calls. And then you have an issue because you're getting so many phone calls. At the same time, you've got to manage your own patients, you know, ringing confirmations, cancellations, booking in emergencies. And that can be a challenge because they get inundated. But then that shows the challenges and the need for NHS dentistry to be supported and funded correctly, which is something that I know our BDA and a lot of leading sort of dentists have been looking at and and focusing on, and hopefully that would increase in the future. In GM also, we have a system where we have UDC slots and urgent dental case slots within practices. So these are where a lot of practices have signed up to the scheme. You have slots within the diary where patients can be booked in. Uh, These patients will access the service by going through 111, where they'll be triaged. And often they'll be booked an emergency slot um, for the next day or the same day within a practice in the area. Mm-hmm. We'll be emailed the details of the patient in terms of the medical history, their complaint. Um, we book into the slot and that patient will come. It will be for the emergency treatment only. So our aim will be to get them out of pain. And then technically they will have to go back and find another dentist. But it does, I help, I feel, help alleviate the pressure that those patients will end up having to go to a&E or to having to pay private. So um, we find it to be a really useful slot. And then, you know, there is an option if a practice has capacity to offer those patients a place to stay on, which does happen. But I think, as I mentioned, the commissioners do seem to be looking at some other innovative ways for practices to take on new patients and increase the access. Access has always been an issue with NHS dentistry, but I feel that COVID has kind of really put a real, as has with all primary and secondary care has really made things much, much more difficult.
1: So yeah, I mean access a massive point and mm-hmm. how it's funded is a really good point. Yeah. Uh, any other sort of points that you want to raise in this sort of intro to dentistry for primary
2: other primary care clinicians? Yeah, I think it's also for people to understand that as far as I'm aware, historically, dentistry was never funded to fund the whole population. Mm. And this is often a misconception that people say, well why aren't we why can't dentists see everyone that wants to be seen. And some of it, as I mentioned, is workforce. There's no doubt we, we, we struggle recruiting. The issues are simply that the funding was never set up to fund everyone. So it means it's difficult to provide access without that extra funding. NHS dental funding is, is ring-fenced, which is excellent, but it is capped. And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand. They say, well, why can't you see more patients? It's because there's a limited number of UDAs. There's a limited contract value. So we can't see uh, extra people. I think that's one thing, it's important, I think I would like people to sort of understand we are kind of limited in there. As I mentioned, Wales is funded slightly differently, Northern Ireland as well. England is very much in this kind of system that came in in 2006, this kind of units per dental activity system. This
1: is, well, really interesting already. So how do we in general practice help patients navigate dental concerns?
2: I mean, I, I feel, I mean, having many friends of mine who are GPs, I think first of all, often patients who can't access dental services, their first port of call would be the GP. Um, They'll ring around dental services. Maybe they don't know about the, the triple one service that will give them UDC slots. So often they'll ring up the GP and sometimes they'll get through to the gp practice and they'll be triaged maybe seen in person on the phone and they'll come up with a dental problem and and i always say my advice to gps is about scope of practice now if your scope of practice covers you treating that patient then you know yes if it's something that you can treat then you know straight go ahead and do it but where not that's where the difficulty arises and i know a lot of gps will struggle but it's maybe highlighting or sending or letting receptionists and GPs know there is this UDC service available for patients without a dentist. There is an after-hour service available for patients without the dentist, accessible through Triple One. And letting them know that they can access the service through that. One thing I'd really like personally, um, and this is probably a general thing, is that, you know, for us to be able to access, not necessarily patients Medical records, but their medication. Yeah. The biggest challenge we have is that when we get PPC patients for their recourse for treatments, you ask a patient, you know, have you had any changes to your medical history? No, and then when you when you delve into it, you find out actually, you know, they've they've started. They're on blood thinners. They're on you know bisphosphonates. There's 101 challenges, or the diabetes has been unstable for the last six months, mm-hmm. and we, we'd love to be able to access. Um, that, but I think what would be useful is at the minute if you want to speak to a GP for something or a query, we normally would email the practice. So we'd obviously use our NHS email address and it can take a bit of time. So it would be really useful to have some kind of faster system where then maybe they could speak to us about a patient of ours mm-hmm. or vice versa. We've, we could, we can request, like we've not got the medication for this patient. The patient mentioned they had some kind of uh, stroke recently um, and or some other kind of comorbidities we want to look at. Could we get some information on that? And I think that would be a really useful thing to have. And I think if GPs know... Whenever, for example, we do a referral for anything, the GP is always copied in. So it'd be useful for GPs maybe when they're doing certain referrals, whether it's relating to diabetes or other high blood pressure or comorbidities, um, if they could almost copy us in. So then we get a copy of that letter, you know, saying the patient has is going to be undergoing, you know, radiotherapy, and we're copied we're copied into that as well. So that'd be really useful to act, for us to access. Not medical records, but if it's simply the medication, mm. that would be great for us to be able to. But if we had a query, if we could that could have, in a quicker way, contact the surgery. Obviously, we understand GP surgeries have a massive amount of pressure. Admin time is limited. But to be able to have that
1: cross-references. Yeah, we, we
2: don't. And yeah, I think, I think that... Yeah. It's something that's always been promoted. I mean, many years ago, when I when I came to work in Oldham, it was two thousand and six. We moved into one of the lift buildings, and one of the aims were that you can be working in a building where you had GPs, optom, pharmacy. And it was you working closely together and that, you know, there was uh, some work, but we, we live in a dig- digital age now. We don't need to work in the same building. Mm-hmm. We can still access each other. People can be in Edinburgh or Manchester mm-hmm. and we can still access them and support them. And I think that's the way forward. I think anyway, mm-hmm. having those communication channels between GPs and dental practices a bit easier yeah. would be useful. One other aspect that we see at the minute is what we started to notice recently, we have patients that are undergoing um, cancer treatment, radiotherapy and chemotherapy. And we often get a letter from whichever, they're, whether they're being treated, Christie's or Royal Oldham or Salford. And that letter will ask that, you know, the patient is dentally fit. Mm-hmm. So that if they've got any, areas that need to be looked at prior to starting this treatment, prior to starting chemotherapy or radiotherapy or bisphosphonates for those patients to be densely fit and um, to let them know if there's any issues or concerns that could flare up during their treatment. And it'd be great if GPs could ask us the same thing, that if they've got a patient coming in and they're starting bisphosphonates and they could message us and say, look, we just want to make sure if there's any outstanding treatment that, that could impact, cause problems during their treatment, could it be started before the treatment? treatment has been begun, because we all know if we have a patient who starts radiotherapy and then they are prone to infections they're immunocompromised and certain things like periodontal treatment which is connected very much to the immune system it can be compromised and if it's not ideal prior to starting they can get problems if they have a tooth that requires a root canal treatment or an extraction it could really become complicated it could mean that if we get a patient requiring extractions or complex treatments um, we have to refer them to secondary care which can take several months at the moment but if we could have done that treatment prior to them having started this round of chemotherapy or treatment it could have made it a lot easier for them you know prevention is essential we know in all areas of healthcare, care that's kind of one area that i think if GPs could access us and say, look, you know, we've got this patient in common and this is going to happen, how could do we work together almost to ensure there's not going to be any flare-ups in between? As I mentioned, you know, we get patients on all types of medication and, you know, recently I had a patient, you know, start amylodipine and one of the side effects are that they can get swollen gums. And it was very unusual, this out of the blue, they had these rather unusual looking swollen gums. and. So we emailed the GP and the GP looked into it and the medication was changed and it helped, you know, and it sort of, if we could imp- improve and increase communications, I think that'd be, that'd be really useful.
1: Would it? Because um, I start bisphosphonates quite often. That sounds like it could be a decent amount of work. I say, tell your, tell your dentist. Yeah, yeah. I leave it t- up to them.
2: I think the first challenge is do they have a dentist. And yeah. they may not have a dentist. Yeah. Now, I know that in Manchester, they're very keen with the whole cancer sort of fellow. We've got a cancer fellow hopefully coming up quite soon. And part of their process will be making cancer referrals easier Mm -hmm. and maybe using photography more in our urgent cancer referrals so maybe a future project could be looking at how we could streamline communication between GPs and dental practice so if you have a patient who is due to start bisphosphonates there's a system or method for you to contact the dentist and say look they're about to start it is there anything that I need to be aware of or there's anything could be done prior to them starting Mm -hmm. maybe something in the future could be a project looking at how we can get more access from GPs to dentists as well.
0: Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, I think just because we're talking about um, medication, I might just ask uh, if you have any advice for clinicians in general practice um, around specific medications related to dental work because that question can come up quite often.
2: I, th- I think the medication question is can be a difficult one to be fair. Um, I mean, what we tend to use, we, we use SDSEP, which is the Scottish guidelines and it's a fantastic tool. It's an app. You can, you've can got all the medications on there and then you go into it and you link the side effects and contraindications it takes you to the bnf and you can utilize it that way the sd has also set up a lot of guidelines for patients on bisphosphonates patients on anticoagulants patients undergoing chemotherapy radiotherapy and it's quite a useful tool that we use regularly but i think gps can also access it it's free online yeah. i mean as i mentioned previously improving communications between dentists and gps is, would be really useful and it's more i think Not just about medications, it's about disease and and disease control. So when you get a patient who's been recently diagnosed with diabetes or the diabetes is unstable, it's letting them know that it can have an impact upon their oral health, their gum disease, their gums, other problems can occur as well. As I mentioned prior to this, bisphosphonates is a big one to be fair. You know, the risks of osteonecrosis after an extraction. Again, if you've got the prevention in there first, if you've taken out those risky teeth, if you've done the root canals prior to them starting the therapy or prior to them starting chemo or radio, that can support it unfortunately we do see a lot of general disease tying in with oral health disease as well we see people who have heart disease often having higher rates of gum disease and there's been a lot of studies and connections which I, I won't i won't quote or name that do see show connections between that and social deprivation they all come in hand in hand you know all those issues and poverty tie into people
0: um, and you just mentioned there um, a little bit about diabetes and yeah. prior to the um, the chat you had um, talked about that as well is there anything else that you want to raise or or want gps to know about diabetes and
2: dentistry so again i don't think this is necessarily just with gps but the nurses as well maybe if you have a patient coming in with diabetes newly diagnosed but or sort of unstable letting that patient know that look you know you have to take care of your dental health oral health there's challenges if you've not got a dentist try and find one if you have a dentist let them know attend regularly get your oral health checked when we, when we treat patients with diabetes, for us, it's very much about prevention. As I mentioned, it's keeping the oral hygiene excellent. It's keeping on top of their gum health. I mean, hopefully, they're diabetic, so their sugar intake is is controlled. It's not always the case, as we know. Um, but then also making them aware that certain procedures that they may have to undertake, like extractions, put them put them at more risk of infection if a patient is diabetic and the diabetes is managed and under control then you know there's not really many issues I mean they are more prone to gum disease the gum disease can be harder to treat it's potentially it's, it's more of a problem in those patients who have uncontrolled diabetes or who haven't have it diagnosed I mean I have had cases where patients come in and looking at the signs and symptoms we've asked them to go for a test to the GP and it's we've actually managed to diagnose people as diabetic um, so we do see that side of it hand in hand will go their management of their diabetes if they can get their di- diabetes under control and manage that then often their oral health or the gum disease will will improve as well
1: and um, so just one thing that occurred to me when you were talking about the bisphosphonates um is it a, a big deal if somebody starts it before talking to you
2: um the thing about bisphosphonates is that i mean that we can have patients on bisphosphonates and when the someone comes in, it depends what treatment they're having done. Now, you can get away with your checkups quite easily, fillings, root canal, canal treatments because there is an increased risk of infection with a root canal. Obviously, you're treating infection that could have spread into the gum. That's an area to be aware of. I think the area that we kind of... um we have to be more sort of careful with these extractions, yeah. removing teeth. Um, again, there's a lot of guidelines out there. We tend to use the S- sd set I personally, sorry, use the sd Sep guidelines on uh, extractions. And it can mean that if you extract a tooth in a patient... If you did that with a regular patient, after the extraction went well, you may review them in a week, but often you may not see them again unless they have a problem. But with someone who's taken bisphosphonates and it's a relatively straightforward extraction, you'd probably wanna monitor them and see them more often. Um, The issue arises when patients don't remember how long they've been on it. They don't remember that actually, I don't take bisphosphonates, but they stopped a year ago and they don't recall that. And that's a challenge we get with not being able to access medical records or current medication. Now where we have a patient who could require challenging extraction or something a bit more complex, and often we will refer to secondary care where you have a specialist who maybe has more experience with dealing with patients with extractions, but also if the extraction becomes difficult and we can't get all the bits out, they may be more experienced to be able to get all the bits out. We don't want to to be leaving in sources of infection. Um, But as I said, the biggest challenge often is that um, the patients don't know that they're on them. When they come in, they fill the forms. And it's easier now, because a lot of people have the medication on the NHS app. I think it would be really useful going forwards that if there was communication, between GPs where they could let us know. And then if you've got anything that, for example, we've got patients who require extractions and they say, oh, I'm having no problem, I'm just gonna leave it. I'm having no issues, I know it might flare up, but I'd rather just monitor because it it's causing no issues. Or a patient requires a root canal, but again, whether it's financial reasons or just because they're having no pain, they don't want to undergo it. But if that patient's gonna be starting bisphosphonates and we are made aware of that prior to it, or if the patient is going to be starting chemo, radio, um, and we're aware, then we can maybe get the patient in, have a discussion and say, look, we need to get this treatment done prior. We need to get your gum disease under control. We need to get these teeth removed. We need to get the root canal done.
1: When the equation changes. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Looking at our next question about resources, I'm definitely I'm going to link to the, is it
2: S? DCEP.
1: DCEP. Yeah, DCEP. Yeah and the nhs choices website and things any other resources that you wanted to highlight to clinicians um
2: I think I'm very wary that GPs are very busy and um, they have enough on their plates without having to troll through dental resources. But, you know, if they want to, I mentioned SDCEP, um, NHS choices to direct patients towards potential being seen at UDC centers, letting patients know about the after hour services that's offered. So they're not having to turn up at the, at a and I mean, I don't know if GPs have a, like a poster in their surgery, letting patients know, I would assume they may do. And knowing about the dental services, the dental number to ring for out of hours, hours again that's useful to maybe have on your poster in your in your reception but also let reception know that when they get these phone calls they can direct these patients towards those areas but i just hope in the future that we as healthcare professionals can work more together i mean we're already doing it in a way because you know Often you'll find is that you have midwives who, you know, who are seeing, you know, ladies that are pregnant or health visitors, and they often will provide some advice and give, we have, we had a scheme where when a patient was born, a baby was born, sorry, you know, they're, they're given a tooth pack with a toothbrush in there, with toothpaste in there, with information, health visitors have been supporting us in that, so getting in there early and letting them know that, look, baby teeth do matter i mentioned prior to this the area team the commissioners and the ldc set up a really good system where you know they were promoting baby teeth and letting patients know that they're essential yes we are going to lose them but i work in one of the areas in oldham where we have Uh, one of the highest levels of children requiring extractions under GA. And a lot of our emergencies that we see these patients are on waiting lists for general anesthesia, often several months long, and they're coming in constantly in pain. Uh, They've been given antibiotics. They're too scared to have extractions. Often if they're under six, they can't have inhalation sedation. So they're in pain and waiting. And it's kind of, if you can get an early in these kind of communities and provide the basics of education um, and provide that kind of advice that look, you know, you, bottle advice, you know, when to give bottles, when to sort of wean the child off a bottle, tippy cups, using glasses, getting there early and let them know about prevention, it's really useful. And in the past, the commissioners have worked with practices to allow them to open up their practices to children who don't have a dentist. Mm -hmm. Um, Another scheme has been to patients who have been recently diagnosed with cancer. Um, A lot of practices, if they are rung by that patient, will often provide that patient with a dental appointment because obviously they may not have a dentist they may not be able to afford private dentistry which is totally understandable and they don't have a dentist what do they do and they're about to start this cancer treatment or this treatment that could have a real impact if they have problems later so a lot of practices will open up their books and take on those patients i mean as i mentioned you know working in the area that we do we face many challenges and they're all tied in with poverty and social deprivation and and often it is getting in early and giving that advice and there's nothing better than when you have a, a child come in with these problems and you give that advice and then you get the next sibling and actually it's been taken on board and the parents have decided yes we're going to cut the bottle off after a year and a half we're not going to give it then the bottle when they go to sleep we're going to brush their teeth go into the bed and that is from the help of the midwives and the and and sort of the health visitors as well getting in there early and giving this advice mm-hmm. so i think that we, we can we can work collaboratively in many areas definitely mm-hmm. there is massive scope for that
0: Fantastic. Um, And then just kind of to to sum up um, everything... What are your um, kind of key top things that you want listeners to take away um, from the chat today? If they only are going to remember a couple of things, what do you want them to remember?
2: I mean, I'd hope that uh, healthcare professionals, GPs, nurses have more of an awareness of the challenges that NHS dentists face. And these challenges are related to our contracts, to our UDA system, how we are remunerated. That the reason we're not seeing new patients, is not necessarily because we don't want to or we want to do private treatment. It's because we're, ch- we're struggling with workforce like everybody else. Um secondly to I would hope that, you know, people out there would maybe contact their dental practice if they have a concern. So a GP or a nurse be comfortable to ring or email and say, look, I've got this patient, I've got a concern. How can how can we help each other, support the patient? That'd be a great way forwards. Thirdly, beware of where to direct patients that require treatment. So if you have someone turning up in your surgery or ringing up and it's clearly a dental issue and it's out of your scope of practice, knowing where to direct that patient to the out of hours, to emergency services, I think that's kind of the third area. I think... More importantly for me is is having more effective communication between different people, different services, whether that's via email, um, as I mentioned, the kind of the cancer system set up where we're getting letters from the hospitals asking us to ensure or to to try and make sure that patients are dentally fit. And yeah, and I think just appreciating that we all have a lot of challenges and I think it's about working together really so hopefully i've given you a really brief insight <laughs> it
0: was fantastic thanks so much it was lovely to chat and i definitely have learned a lot about dentistry that i didn't know before so thank you all right sarah so it's actually the next day after our chat um with mktar so we've had some time to think about the episode and ponder uh what we learned so uh what what did you take away from the chat yesterday
1: yeah it was lovely meeting him and finding out all about dentistry because um i think both of us you can hear it in our voices as we're talking it's like oh oh that's how it's funded oh you know it like it was never really i mean the, the whole idea of the funding's a bit um interesting shall we say yeah and just actually the challenges that they're facing and and how that works really Yeah, to understand their challenges was was probably my first learning point. Challenges around access and how we
0: can help navigate those. Uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it was it was really interesting to learn about the funding and the and their challenges with workforce. I think um it really came across that prevention's really big and really important yeah. um with dentistry, which I, you kind of know, but I think a lot of that stuff about really being able to get people in before they have um, start medications before illnesses get worse, that was quite standout out to me that it's really yeah important to get in there early because it's a lot harder to manage the dentistry as kind of time goes on when people are on medications or um, deteriorating diagnoses so that was a big one and then also just about communication which has come up time and time and time again in our conversations with other members of the primary care team but just starting to think about ways in which communication between particularly general practice and dentistry could perhaps be strengthened.
1: Yeah definitely I think his take on medications and communication was really interesting definitely food food for thought there essentially um and yeah like you say the prevention areas i really wanted to know a bit more about those and also it was interesting to raise awareness about diabetes and oral health so really good yeah um, so thanks very much for listening and to making it this far um, we hope you enjoyed it and got as much out of it as we did um, if you want to get in touch with us please do thank you so much for people filling out the surveys really interesting um, surveys recently with some good potential links so we are banking them and thank you for them um, so yeah um, get in touch with us over the u- usual channels as well we've got all the links on the episode description till next
0: time a Parmary Knowledge Based this
1: podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of gp excellence wigan borough ccg greater manchester training hub and the gp fellowship program as well as greater manchester health and social care
0: partnership just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public they were recorded in 2023
1: Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. The
0: content is based on our interviewees opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast.